When John began ministry in 1726, he set out to convert the heathen to Christianity. One of his first endeavors was a trip to Georgia, a prison colony at the time. However, after spending some time there with the Moravian Christians, he found himself distressed, convinced that he wasn't a Christian. When Wesley concluded that he, is, he lacked saving faith and therefore should cease preaching, a friend convinced him to continue to preach faith until he had it, and once he had it, to continue preaching until he possessed it. Twelve years later, on May the 24th, 1738, Wesley was attending a, a small group gathering in Oxford. That night, he experienced a change of life. He records his experience. In the evening, I went very unwilling to a society in Aldersgate, where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle of the Romans. About a quarter, quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. For Wesley, it took some time for the seed, the Word, to take root in his life. He thought that he would just give up, that it was not enough to endure. But that friend's advice was the advice that every Christian should be ready at hand to give. Keep believing until you have a feeling sense that you believe. Now as we explore the passage before us this morning, I want these questions in your mind. Why is it that some hear the Gospel and never believe? Why is it that some hear the same sermon that you hear, yet never repent and trust in Christ? Why does it seem that some take longer than others to come to saving faith? Perhaps that's your own story today. Having perhaps grown up in church, it took you some time to really grab hold of the Gospel. Or perhaps for you, your story is you never really knew the Gospel until much later in life. You never were around the things of Christianity. And it wasn't until you were an adult or much older that you finally heard, and repented, and believed. It is these questions which are at the heart of our passage this morning. Why are some hearts receptive and others simply reject? With that in mind, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I encourage you to grab a Bible if you do not have a copy of God's Word for yourself. In fact, I would encourage you to take out one of those pew Bibles in front of you and you take that home with you. Uh, it is our gift to you. We want to commend its regular reading. And so let me just encourage you, take that home, read it, 
regularly study it and seek to know God through it. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. It's found on page 864. And uh, we're going to consider verses 1 through 21 today. Luke chapter 8. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who were provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he told them, and he was told rather, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he said to them, My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. Well, by reading that whole passage, I hope that you heard in your ear the word hear. This entire section is dominated by one word, hearing. 
the activity of hearing. Of course, we would in English say listening. There are those who hear and those who listen. Jesus here throughout this whole section gives us a, a picture of those who hear God's Word but do not listen to God's Word. Now you'll be reminded that Luke is writing to Theophilus. Now, as you think about Theophilus sitting, hearing this, having been one who heard the Word and responded to it, it would have been an encouragement to him as he was contemplating those in his life who had heard the Word but had never believed. Those who had heard the same sermons preached by the Apostle Paul that Theophilus perhaps would have heard but yet never responded in saving faith. This entire section is dominated by the Word of God being the central uniting theme. It was the Word of God, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus was heralding, proclaiming, preaching, and that the crowds were hearing. It was the message of reconciliation through His substitutionary death that they were to receive by repentance and faith. It was the same message that John preached before Jesus. And it was the message that Theophilus himself had heard. That God had sent His Son to save His people and to usher them into His eternal kingdom. Now to help us understand, what what is the main idea? What is it that unifies this entire section together? Well, it is this. Only those who bear fruit have responded rightly to the Word of God. We're going to see in this section three responses, three positive responses. Number one, Jesus commands His audience, the crowds that have gathered, to hear the Word of God. And we're going to think about four types of listeners to the Word of God. But then we'll see also in the parable of the lamp that Jesus is calling on those who have, if you will, the good heart, the good soil, and respond rightly to the Word of God, that they then are become inheritors or stewards of the Word. That if you respond to God's Word rightly, you then become a steward of that Word. You have to do something with it. And Jesus tells His disciples, those who have received the Word better take care of the Word because if you don't, you're going to lose the Word. And we could perhaps offer entire denominations of so-called Christians who have abandoned the Word and lost the Word altogether. Thirdly here, we see in Jesus' response to his mother and brothers, that it is those who obey the word which are truly his family. And so these are the three points. If you take notes this morning, number one, hear the word, verses 1 through verse 15. Steward the word, verses 16 through 18. 
And then verses 19 through 21, obey the word. These are the responses, to the, the right responses to the preaching of God's word. Number one, hear the word. We see in verses 1 through 3, which functions both as a transitional uh, paragraph, but also as an illustration of the many who heard the word. Who heard the word. We are told here that Jesus continues his itinerant ministry by preaching the gospel. Many today are confused about what Jesus majored on. Many focus on what he minored on rather than what he majored on. And this particular section, verses 1 through 3, is particularly instructive for those who think that Jesus' message was merely for the poor. In fact, that's true. In so much as this entire section is dominated with the outcast and the poor hearing and receiving the word up until this section. So those who support a social gospel agenda are particularly derailed at this point when you find the women that were closest to him were wealthy women. The ones that had heard the gospel rightly and repented were supporting Jesus' ministry. And Jesus lists a number of them there. It is also instructive to us the diversity of the gospel recipients, isn't it? Of course we have the twelve with him. But here Jesus, and Luke particularly, um, has a, a particular attention given, both in this gospel and in the volume two, what we know as the, the Acts of the Apostles. Luke gives particular attention to women in the early church because Jesus here is undermining social norm by having these women follow him so closely. It is a reminder to us all that when the seed is cast, it is cast indiscriminately. It is cast diversely. That there is a place for, for even the rich in the kingdom of God. For those who are materially blessed. And there is a place for women in the ministry of the church. Well, as we go on, we see Jesus then telling this parable as the great crowds are gathered there. Before we jump in here, because this is somewhat of our first parable, I wanted to give you a sense of what parables are. So I think we, we sometimes miss this idea. And if we miss what Jesus' point is, I think then we'll miss uh, the main idea. Well, the point of the parable, if you look, verse 10. Now, Mark and Matthew get more explicit here than even Luke does. But, but even what Luke records is sufficient enough for us to understand the purpose of parables in Jesus' ministry. To you, the disciples, the apostles, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice here first, it is an exclusive group, the apostles, who have the ability given to them to know the mystery, the mysterion of the gospel. What we confess is their doctrinal teaching, their theology. We teach the apostles' teaching. We stand on their teaching. Right? 
That's why we, we don't have red letter Bibles, because all of the Bible is red, because all of the Bible is instructive and authoritative, not merely what Jesus is saying. So he goes on to say that the apostles have been given authority to know, but notice here the contrast, but for others they are in what? Parables. So that, here's the purpose statement, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. In other words, parables were used by Jesus to disguise the truth as an act of judgment upon the nation of Israel. And that God only revealed to a small group of people the revelation that they were to steward. This is a quite different understanding than we often take in parables. We think they're illustrations, cute stories that Jesus told to help convey some spiritual truth. And yes, they are. But even here, Jesus uses the parable of the sower in such a way that no one can understand its meaning apart from Jesus' own interpretation. So if you're standing there and you're thinking, oh, I would have gotten that. If I was there that day and I heard it, I was in the crowd, oh, I would have been the goody-goody teacher. Teacher, I know the answer to this. Jesus would have said to you, no, you do not. Not unless I tell you. Not unless I reveal it to you. Not unless my Father who is in heaven shows you, would you know this? One particular author says this. Parables are not merely stories to enjoy. They hold up a reality to serve as a mirror of another, the kingdom of God. They are avenues to understanding in so much that they are handles by which one grasps the kingdom. Jesus told parables to confront people with the character of God's kingdom and to invite them to participate in it. One other author says it this way, that Jesus' stories are not mere illustrations but weapons of warfare. Wow, provocative. This is how Jesus even uses this. Well, let's look at the parable very briefly. It's quite straightforward, isn't it? Jesus gives us some farming, perhaps this morning. This is kind of up your avenue. You understand this. You have grown some things. You have perhaps sowed seed in a field or in a garden. You've planted before. Jesus here is uh, giving us an agricultural lesson that everyone, most in the crowd, would have quite understood. In ancient Israel, these fields would have been surrounded by hardened-off paths at hedges, if you will. And these paths would have been tamped down hard clay, hard dirt, that would, of course, these seeds wouldn't penetrate. But we're just told that a sower goes out to sow seed, and he just casts it broad. It goes everywhere. He's, he's sort of a mess with it, right? He just kind of throws it all over the place. He, he's not very discriminate with it. He is uh, quite indiscriminate with it. He just kind of throws it all over the place. But what's quite shocking is not so much his behavior, right? But rather verse, verse 8. And some fell in the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now, everyone here in the room can understand, okay, yes, if you sow seed out on the asphalt parking lot, those little suckers aren't going to grow. They're going to die. A few of them might get in the cracks out there and, and, and might begin to grow up a bit, but we know that eventually they'll be choked out and die. But if you get into the soil now, some rich, tilled soil, it's going to grow. 
But if any one of you in here ever tried to grow anything, you know that when you, when you seed start, when you put little seedlings in the ground, you, you typically, in each little hole or pocket, try to get a number of seed in there. You overseed. Why? Because we know that not all the seeds are going to germinate. Not all the seeds are going to pr- produce plants. Some are just going to die off. But notice here at verse 8, Jesus says in his little story that they yield a hundredfold. This, this would have been miraculous. This would have been wonderful. This would have caused eyebrows to be raised. What farmer has ever sown seed that he gets a hundredfold harvest from? This is unheard of. Then Jesus kind of throws punches, and he says to them, calling out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a command to hear. He's calling out to the crowds, indiscriminately calling out. He says, hear my word. Can you hear me? Of course, everyone can hear him. Everyone there. They had ears. In other words, they weren't deaf. They could have heard Jesus. But it's fascinating, isn't it? That though everyone heard it, not everyone understood it. Not even Jesus' own disciples. Those who walked with Him and broke bread with Him and slept with Him. And so His disciples come and say, Jesus, help us out here. We, we don't quite understand the whole point of that story. Um, you're just kind of telling us yesterday's news. We know that. Except for that whole bit about the hundredfold, that seems a bit strange. Um, but otherwise, we've seen that, Jesus. What's so wonderful about your parable? Jesus here goes on to say, verse 11, that the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So the seed that the sower is sowing is the Word of God. Now, to be very clear, in the Gospel of Luke, the Word of God isn't Genesis to Revelation. The Word of God is this message of reconciliation, this proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand, for the King has come. It's the message of the Gospel. So in your mind, when you hear the Word of God, don't, don't just sort of think very broadly, but, but specifically about God's revelation of Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent to save sinners for His glory. And Jesus goes on to display and explain this parable by giving us four types of listeners. Or, in a sort of old English way of saying it, four types of hearers. Right? We don't often speak that way, so listening is a better verbal idea. Hopefully you get it in your mind. Jesus is saying there are four types of people who listen to the Word. Because I want you to notice something here, friend. That in each and every one of them, they have heard the Word. So this is not a breakdown in communication. This isn't because the sower failed to sow. In any type of scientific experiment, you have to you know, eliminate as many variables as possible in order for your experiment to be successful. Well, in, our, in this experiment, in this parable, it's the same seed. So the problem isn't with the seed. Well, the seed's the gospel. How could we say that's the problem? The, the problem isn't the sower, because if you look with me, look with me very quickly, verse 12. 
those who have heard, you see it there in the beginning, or in the middle there, those who have heard and not believed, verse 13, those who, when they hear the word, here they are, verse 13, the rock, they, they, they heard it, verse 14, some fell along the thorns, and they heard, those who hear, same verbal idea, there's some variation, but all the same, and then verse 15, hearing the word, they hold fast. In other words, everyone has received through hearing, but not everyone responds the same. And so, while we often think about this as the parable of the sower, it should be the parable of the, what, soils. There are four responses here to the Word of God. First, we see the path. This is the wayward listener, for our New American Standard listeners, the, the faithless listener. This is the one who's described as, as the rock, or rather, yes, the, the, the path, rather. Those that went along the path, then the, the devil comes and snatches away, takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. The picture of the path, isn't it clear in your mind? The seed can't penetrate that hard path. It's a, it's a hard heart. Their heart is hardened through the evil that is being portrayed through the devil. Now, now you, you want to be careful here that we don't you know, read into the text more than that's there. This is a parable. Jesus is explaining it. So that Satan's not running around snatching up seeds. But, any, but he is behind the evil in this world. And so our evil hearts are hardened in such a way as they are unreceptive to the Word. Now, I want to be clear here, because this is where, you know, some folks that uh, lean uh, uh, one particular way in their soteriology get a little lost. The problem isn't the word, my friend. The problem is the heart of man. It would be wrong to conclude that this is God's problem to solve, but rather to see it as man's condemnation for rejecting God and His Word. Their heart is hardened. We see, secondly, among the path, it is those who are shallow. They're the shallow listener. He describes the ones who've been cast along the rocks. They receive it with joy. Oh, that's a good word. Thank you. They receive it with some measure of joy. There, there, there's some glimmer of hope in them. It seems as if it's going to take root. But, look what he says, these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, fall away. And if you've ever planted something, of course, you, you've experienced this when the scorching sun comes up. If a plant doesn't have roots, where it can get the water and nutrients to draw up into its cellular system, it dies, it withers, literally, in the sun. This is one who is shallow in their listening. They, they appear to have some intellectual assent. Notice the, the idea is they believe for a while. They have some knowledge of the truth, but, but they don't have any root. It's not transformed them. It's not changed them. And I think perhaps this is one of the most dangerous ones, particularly for those who hear the teaching of God's Word regularly. You hear it. You know it. You can recite it. You're, you're like Wesley who, who thought he was saved until he got around Christians who really were saved because there wasn't a lot of saved Christians in Oxford. 
He had to go to a prison colony where the Moravians were, where he could really hear the gospel preached, see lives transformed, and his entire world was transformed, turned upside down. It's finally taken root. We see the third soil here, that cast among the thorns. There are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by, notice what they're choked out by, the cares and riches and pleasures of life. They're the the distracted listener. They're distracted by life. They don't grow, they don't mature, they 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 don't go anywhere because they're constantly running after the pleasures of this world. One of the most beautiful passages in, in, in perhaps the whole Bible, one that, that I hope you just commit to memory, is in Hebrews. As the author of Hebrews is just laying out this beautiful picture of, of the people of God and the, those who've come before us. He, he comes to Moses and he says that Mo, Moses, he thought about all the riches of Egypt and the power and prestige that he had. He counted it not as worth for the surpassing worth and pleasure of knowing God, particularly knowing Christ. This world offers us so many cares. We're in a season when so many, I believe, are drawn away by riches and pleasures and comforts of this life. Friend, this is the culture you find yourself living in. A culture seeking to entertain itself to death, constantly grasping after some form of pleasure, of happiness and joy. But isn't it so true? It's like eating fast food. It feels good for a moment, but then comes disaster. It doesn't last. It has no lasting nutritional value. It's here a moment and gone in a second. This is our world that we live in. It offers us pleasure and enjoy it. And it seems good for a moment, but friend, it will never bear fruit. What good is a tree if it doesn't bear good fruit? What good is a citrus crop if it doesn't have citrus? Sucker needs to be cut down and burned. Useless. But then there's the final soil. This is the enduring listener. I want you to see the real main thrust of this is that the heart is receptive and the heart holds on. Again, they hear the Word just like all the other soils heard the Word, but this one, it takes root. It holds fast. It humbly listens to the Word. It receives the Word. It takes the Word to heart. And it cultivates the Word. It nourishes the Word. Just as the soil that you plant that seed in nourishes the seed and provides nutrients and water and all the things it needs to grow, so the heart does. It holds fast to the truth, and here is the main thrust. It bears fruit with patience. Someone asks, how do I know that I'm saved? Friend, I don't. But I will know. Only in so much as you endure to the end. You see, saving faith 
is enduring faith. Faith that perseveres. That word patience there in your Bible is the word to endure. Saving faith is enduring faith. That's the fruit that we look for in the Christian life. How do we know that someone is truly saved? How do we know that the seed is taken root? Is because they're still saved. All other soils do not produce Christians. Only the good soil. And so Jesus here calls us to hear the word, to have hearts ready to receive God's word. But then he goes on to tell a second parable. On the heels of this explanation, Jesus calls his disciples to steward the word. He gives a very vivid illustration. If you go light a lamp or a candle, you don't hide it, right? That doesn't make much sense. You don't, you don't go put batteries in a flashlight, turn it on, and then you know, throw it in a trunk somewhere. You don't install lights in your house never to turn them on. No, light is meant to expose darkness. And Jesus is telling a parable here that those who have received the light ought to be stewards of that light. They ought to share that light. The picture here is one of broadcasting. Notice here verse 18, verse 16. So that, the second, the, the end there, verse 16, so that those who enter may see the light. In other words, there's a purpose of receiving light, and, and the light here is the revelation of truth. The light bulb goes off, not so that you can keep the light for yourself, but that, that you can distribute the light and share the light. That's why he goes on to say in verse 18, take care how you hear. For to the one who has hearing, more will be given to him. And from the one who does not have hearing, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Here's the main idea. We steward the word of God by sharing it and by studying it. Sharing it and studying it. We ought to understand, if you're a Christian this morning, you have, you have the good soil, your heart has been receptive to the Word of God and it has bared fruit, you are now a steward of that. Having believed upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you now have a responsibility to share that same gospel message, to become a sower who sows seed. Who brings the light of the revelation of the knowledge of the glory of Christ to bear in the lives of those around you. By also studying the word. Friend, I hope you understand that as a Christian, you have a a stewardship here to study this word. One of the things we often talk about on Wednesday nights in our Bible study time there. The whole point of that, just so you maybe you don't know, is that I want a congregation that doesn't live on prepackaged meals, that you know how to cook your own meals, that you know how to go and read, study, and apply God's Word without a preacher or a pastor. My friend, we ought not to just constantly feast on prepared meals every Lord's Day, but rather learn how to cook at home. Learn how to put a feast out before your, before your soul every day before the Lord. 
Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor, he said it this way, O brethren, watch therefore over your own hearts. Keep out lust and passion, worldly inclinations. Keep life of faith and love and zeal. Be much at home and be much with God. What does he mean? Well, he means there in that phrase, be much at home, be much with God. In other words, feast on his word. To guard yourself against the worldly things around you is to study God's word. To read, pray, and meditate on the word. I think also we ought to understand studying God's word comes even on the Lord's day. How many of you are passive listeners? Merely just soaking up some things here and there rather than actively listening. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, if you know people whom you think are Christians and who themselves think they are Christians, but who do not want the preaching of the word and do not revel in it, and rejoice in it, and what much as possible as they can get, I suggest that the right question ought to be asked, are these people Christians at all? If you don't have much of an appetite for preaching, perhaps you don't have much of an appetite for Jesus. You see, it's correlating that we ought to come and feast upon His Word. I think also it's ought to be cultivated among us as a stewardship of sharing and casting this word broadly, even among our own members. So, for example, we ought to study the Bible together regularly, whether it be formally through a small group like we have on Sunday mornings or, or through individual times. We ought to take time together with the word. You think about how much you communicate about the things you experience in this world, your favorite music, shows, entertainment, family, grandchildren, whatever it is, is the topic of your conversation, how much of that is God's Word? And so, take some time this afternoon. Discuss the sermon this week over a meal or over a cup of coffee. Think about God's Word together. Well, finally here, we're not only to be stewards of the Word, but very, very quickly, finally, we ought to obey the Word. Obey the Word. It is an interesting scene here, perhaps even undermining some theology about Mary, that Jesus here is begged by his family to come and speak with him, and he clarifies who his family really is. Now, this was no doubt a very awkward situation, as his disciples probably like, oh my, Jesus is a man, ouch, he's harsh. But the main point is this. My family, Jesus says, are those who hear and obey. Look what he says, verse 21. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is sort of the final thrust of this entire section. In other words, the right response The evidence that good fruit that we ought to see in the life of God's people is what? Obedience. It's not hard. It's not hard at all. We ought to obey. As Christians, we ought to replicate the family DNA through our obedience to the Word. Obedience. Submission to the Word. To the whole counsel of God's Word is the mark of a true Christian. Not merely our attendance or uh, some religious activity, but our ongoing cultivation of obedience. 
Oh, we heard it earlier in the scripture I read from James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. A friend, perhaps you're deceived this morning. Uh, you think that you're a Christian, but you rarely obey God. You rarely submit yourself to His Word. Perhaps you don't even know what the Bible says about particular matters in your life. See, as Christians, we ought to be obedient to the Word, lest we be deceived. And the illustration that James gives to us in the, in the man looking at a mirror, he's sort of intently looking at himself, and he turns around and forgets what he looks like. Well, that's a sad fellow, isn't it? It's a sad guy. He, he thinks that he knows what he looks like. He thinks that everything's okay, but he's deceived. Friend, is that you this morning? Are you deceived? You think that you can be a Christian and not love? You, you think you can be a Christian and not pray? Give sacrificially? Or any host of other commands that Jesus gives his disciples and gives us through the apostles' teaching? Do you think we need to just brush those aside and say, that's those are unimportant? These are the very things that demonstrate that that seed has taken root and flourished in our lives. Friend, how do you hear the word? Even now, how have you heard it? Are, are you the one that is hard hearted? I don't need Jesus. I don't need these religious folks. I, I'm doing okay without it. And let me just warn you. You're deceived. You're not doing well. Sure, you can put up a, a great show. You can tell yourself that. And you can tell all those around you that, that life is just peachy. But apart from Jesus, there's no true, genuine, lasting joy. Apart from a life lived in obedience and submission to Him, there is no joy. There is no happiness. There is no reward. Perhaps this morning you're the shallow hearer. For you, Christianity is no more than a, a list of things to do and, and to move on. You have faith, and that's sufficient. But you have no fruit. Perhaps you're the distracted listener today. All you can think about is what's going to happen in about 15 minutes. The cares of this world, the cares of your schedule, your family, your friends, whatever it is on your agenda. Perhaps you're the humble one this morning, begging God, transform my wicked heart into an image of your glorious Son. May we be a people that hear God's Word. That means we must study it. That must, we must know it. We must seek to understand what is it that God wants us to do with our life. We must submit to it by knowing it. Let us be a people who steward it by sharing it with others. How sad it is if we are a Christian and do not regularly evangelize those around us. Friend, you, you have people in your life right now that will never hear the gospel unless you open your mouth. Let us obey it. As I prayed earlier, my prayer, my honest prayer for this congregation is that our reputation in this community and throughout would be that we are hearers and doers of the word. 
For if we are hearers and doers of the word, then we will glorify God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And only when we are. Let's pray. Father, our prayer this morning is that he who has ears to hear will hear your word today. I pray that the Holy Spirit might cultivate in us hearts that would hear till our hearts, till these hardened soils that we might receive, we might heed your word, that we might steward your word, and that we might obey your word, that we would do it only for your glory in Christ our Lord. It is in his name we pray, amen.